Right, good morning, folks. Nice to be with you all. Hey, Steve-O, how are you? Good, welcome. So I'm just getting my bearings out. I'm trying the first, for the first time to go paperless and use a tablet. So if I, if I cut out, then you know something's gone wrong. But um, it's, a, it's a blessing to be with you here on Father's Day. There's another father that has joined us, uh, another dad. So Steve, happy Father's Day to you and to Christian as well. Minnie, you're, you're not a dad yet, right? Okay. <laughs> so, happy Father's Day. As I say, it's a privilege again to always be with you ladies at Merrowdown and just to, to spend time with you and to share the word of the Lord. It's a, it's a real blessing that you prepare the way for us and just really help us and, and make it comfortable for us. So thank you so much for that. I really appreciate it. And um, I know that we always have a good time together. So... I think it was to, to Di and Anita and to, to Barbara for setting up today. I see Lindy's not here, but... Hmm? And Sheila. Sorry. So thank you to everybody who has set up and to Christian and Karen. Thanks for the, for the worship. We, we really enjoyed those songs. And just praise the Lord that He's laid it on people's hearts to, to write those songs so that we can enjoy them together. Emily, thanks for the reading as well. So catch up quickly. The last time I was here was exactly two months ago. It feels like ages ago, and that is quite a while ago. But we, we shared the message on the foolishness of the cross. I don't know how many of you remembered that. And where Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 1.18, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And that should be at the, at the core of every message that we do preach, because it's really, really important that we know what Jesus Christ has done for us. So on Father's Day... We should be glorifying our Father every day as we spend time saying in prayers earlier. But today I want to dedicate this, this service to the Lord God and the Father that has given us every good and perfect gift. So that's to the Lord. So we know the story of the prodigal son. The prodigal son where there's two boys and the one boy decides he wants to cash in on his inheritance. And he wants to go and do wild things. He just wants to go and live his own life. And so his dad agrees and gives him his inheritance, he goes off to a far-off land and he ends up living a prodigal lifestyle. And so he spends all his money, he spends all he has, and he gets to the lowest of lows where he has to go back and work at a pig farm. And you know for the Hebrews and for the Jewish people, pigs are unclean. So you could see what sort of state he was in. And he even had to work for a Gentile because the Gentiles were the pig farmers. So he had a double, a double whammy there and... He decided, well, if people are working for my dad and he is paying them a, a worker's wage, I can go back to my dad and get a worker's wage. And so he's approaching the farm. His dad sees him coming from a, a little bit, uh, like a, a mile or so, whatever the case may be. And they run and they embrace each other. And his dad is so happy to have his son back. And that's the story I get with our father in heaven. His arms are always open. We've all come from a, a sinful lifestyle We've been embraced by the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so God's arms are open to us. And the Christian, uh, Christian read the, the reading. Thank you, Christian. And so we're going to spend time in Isaiah. And the penny dropped in the everlasting song when the exact lyrics were there of the everlasting song that we shared in the beginning to the scripture that is going to be shared with us today. So just to give you a background, the circumstances behind Isaiah's message was to the Hebrews, to the Israelites who were going to go into captivity because of disobedience. And so they were going to be exiled to Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar. 
And that's the, that's the background. But what I found in this text were the most amazing descriptions of God. The most amazing way that Isaiah saw his, his Savior, his God. And we're going to look at a few characteristics and attributes of God. We're going to look at his sovereignty, which is really important. We're going to look at his immense power and vastness. And keep that in mind while we're going through this message. And the fact that, as I've said, God the Father loves humanity. But before we get into the message, let's just pray together. Heavenly Father, God Almighty, thank you for this day, Lord. Thank you for this message. I pray that you give me the strength to stand, Lord. And I just pray that this word of yours, your infallible and inerrant word, falls on our hearts and helps us understand who you are, Father. So thank you for the blessing. And on Father's Day, we dedicate this service to you and we worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, open to Isaiah 40, verse 28 to 31. If you're on your phone, you can do the same. But please put it on silent or what I like to call sermon mode so that it doesn't interrupt me while I'm, while I'm busy. But the background and the idea of this message is to glorify the Father. And I think it's really important for us to know who the Father is and how much He loves us. Um, to give an, an example, Exodus 3.14 Moses is in the desert and he's tending to the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law. And so Jethro gives Moses a job. And so Moses is walking around and he's doing that. And, and God, as you can remember, approaches Moses in the form of the burning bush. And he speaks to Moses and he says, I have a plan for you to exile the people, my Israelites, out of the land of Egypt, out of slavery. And Moses, obviously, he wasn't quite sure. He didn't understand this because he had a speech impediment. He was asking God, why me? And all sorts of questions. Um, little to say that the Lord always prevails. His, his, his strength and His might. So Moses caved in and he said, Okay, when I go back to the Israelites, who should I say has sent me? And if you remember in Exodus 3.14, God says to Moses, I am who I am. He said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. In other words, the existing, the, the eternal God, the everlasting God, from everlasting to everlasting, the uncaused God, the independent God, is telling Moses, I am who I am. And the Israelites would have known, because of their fathers, because of Abraham, because of Isaac, and because of Jacob, who the God, the eternal God is. So therefore, keep in mind the great I am as we go through this message. Some of the attributes in the passage that I picked up is that God measures the waters in the hollows of His hand. So if you cup your hand, there's a hollow. That's how God measures the waters. Another way we can look at it is that God measures heaven with a span. For those of you that are clued up on measurements, a span is an outstretched hand. Mine's a bit injured, but you get the drift. That's a stretched out hand. That's how God measures the heavens. He brings out the host by number and He calls them by name. So the stars, the planets, the galaxies, everything we know, God has made that He calls them by name. In a nice description, He sits above the circle of the earth. And in another place in Isaiah, Isaiah writes that God uses the earth as a footstool. The majesty, the, the vastness of God. So, just give me a second here. I told you this was going to do its own thing. This is why we use paper, Steve-O. So that brings us to our message title for today. As you've seen in the notices, the message title is The Everlasting God. Daniel's explanation of the everlasting God is the, is the hymn that we sang earlier, Ancient of Days. 
What a beautiful description of the God we serve. So verse 28, we're going to go through verse 28 to 31. Isaiah starts by saying, Have you not known? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. And there's a three-point outline here, and that brings us to our first point today, is that God is omniscient. He's omniscient, in other words, He's all-knowing. Have you not known, have you not heard, Isaiah says. He's writing this in verse 21, and he's writing it again in verse 28, and he's saying, Israel, have you not known, you've known this God, you've heard about this God that we serve. We serve this living God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Surely you know about Him, yet you keep on falling back into idolatry. That's the thing that Isaiah is saying here. He's using a rhetorical question, but it would have hit home very hard with the Israelites. He then goes on to say, this is the God who we're looking at. He says, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth. Now in Hebrew, if you look at the everlasting God, the word God there is Elohim. It's a plural word. We can see the same in the beginning in Genesis 1.1 where God says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The word Elohim is plural, so God is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That's why Isaiah says the everlasting God is the one speaking to you guys. And then he goes on and he switches it to say the Lord, which I found very interesting here because the Lord, he then goes to the Father of the Godhead. In other words, Yahweh, the God that's, that's as theologians will know, his name is called the Tetragrammaton, which means there's four letters in his name. Y-H-W-H. That's who he's talking about here. He says, Yahweh, the creator of the ends of the earth. And you'll see in Philippians, in Colossians, in John, and in Hebrews, it explains to you why God created the earth. And that was for the Lord Jesus Christ. For him and through him, all things were made. So keep in mind the existing God, the eternal God. He is transcendent over time and he's transcendent over space. And what happens is he neither, he neither faints nor is weary, which is such a, such a comforting way to explain to us and to Israel that the God that we serve, he doesn't get tired. Because if you and I get tired, we doze off, as a few of you are doing now. And, <laughs> okay, you're not, good. And um, he, he gets weary. In other words, he doesn't get weary where we do. We get tired, we have to go take a rest. And it's comforting that we can rely on the Lord. That he'll never ever let us down. He meets the needs of all his people and those who love him. And then Isaiah closes off verse 28 and he says, His understanding is unsearchable. And praise the Lord for that. Because if we have a God that we can understand, we've got a serious problem. We really do have a problem. But God is, his understanding is unsearchable. And that's why he is omniscient. That's why he's all-knowing. Because he knows everything from everlasting to everlasting, beginning to end. God knows everything. There's always a comment that I use. I always say, what would be the point of worshipping a God that I can comprehend? And just think about it. What could be the point of worshipping a God that I can comprehend? The psalmist in 139 verse 1 to 2, he writes, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. God is all-knowing. He knows everything that we're doing. Paul writes in Romans 11, verse 33 to 36. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, that omniscience of God. How unsearchable are his judgment and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord? 
or who has become his counselor, or who has first given to him, and it shall be repaid to him. In other words, Paul is saying here, if someone knows the mind of the Lord, if someone can counsel the Lord, if someone has given something to the Lord, he's not worth worshipping. And that's why our God is worth worshipping, because he knows everything. Paul finishes by saying, For of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. So the quote that, I, I, um, that we look at here is a guy by the name of Ravi Zacharias. Some of you might know him, some of you might not. Ravi was born into a Hindu caste society. And so he was on his deathbed at 17. He was suicidal. And a faithful steward of God came in and gave a Bible to his mom and said, make him read this. And she obviously didn't want to because of the, the caste system. And that's what they believed in. And nonetheless, I can't remember what scripture he opened up to. But he then said to the Lord, if I will not, I'll pursue you all my life. I will not leave any stone unturned in my pursuit of you. If you are God, if you are the true God. And so 60 years later, Ravi is still serving the Lord God. He goes to um, seminaries. He goes to universities to preach the gospel. But he does it in, a, in an apologetic manner, not to say sorry, but he's an apologist in a way that he's a defender of the Christian faith. Listen to what Ravi writes. He says, when God is our Holy Father, sovereignty, holiness, omniscience, and immutability do not terrify us. They leave us full of awe and gratitude. Sovereignty is only tyrannical if it is unbounded by goodness. Holiness is only terrifying if it is untempered by grace. Omniscience, in other words, that knowledge, is only taunting if it is unaccompanied by mercy. And immutability is only torturous if there is no guarantee of goodwill. God's wisdom, His omniscience, is like the rainbow in symmetry, beauty, and variety. He does not paint scenes merely in black and white, but uses a riot of color from the heavenly palette in order to show the wonder of his dealings with his people. Point number one, God is all-knowing. He's omniscient. We're going to verses 29 and 30, and Isaiah sort of turns it up a bit and he says, He gives power to the weak, and to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. Now, if he gives power to the weak, if he increases our strength, that brings us to our second point, that God is omnipotent. In other words, he's all-powerful. God is omnipotent, he's all-powerful. He's there to strengthen us when we fall. He's there to give us power when we are sick. He's there when we are worn out, when we are tired, when we are weary, when we have diseases and illnesses. Guess who's always there? Our Heavenly Father. Through depression, through anxiety, through the society that we're in today, God is always there with us. And Isaiah says, even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. And I mean, how many of us, we do it on a, on a regular basis where we look back and we say, I wish I was young again. I wish I could go around the 100 meter hurdles. I wish I could play golf again or, or run a 100 kilometer race for those of you that are really daunting. And, and you know, that's, that's extreme, but people do do this. And what he's saying is that even the youths, even those people will faint and grow weary. And the young men shall fall. And here Isaiah is showing us the comparison of God's strength and human strength. We cannot begin to understand God's strength. We cannot begin to comprehend it. Because if we can, it would be illogical. It would be impossible and illogical to think that we can match God. We saw the same thing in the example of the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11. Where... 
the Nimrod, the first globalist that was around, he thought he wanted to get to heaven. And so he was going to build a tower and he wanted to reach the heavens. Everyone was of the same language. So they all understood each other so that they could build. And God, who uses the earth as a footstool, looks down at them and, and destroys the temple or the, the tower. And he scatters them, but he gives them different languages. so They do not understand each other. That's the feeble attempt of us trying to be as powerful and as great as God. But we have hope in that. We don't lose hope because our Father in heaven sees everything that we're going through. Look what the psalmist writes in 121 verses 1 to 2. I will lift up my eyes to the hills. From whence comes my help? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Very popular scripture, Philippians 4 verse 13. All of us should know this or do know this at least. Paul writes, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I look at myself and I quickly go back to the story when I was in hospital. I was in hospital for three and a half months. Um, I had no power. I was paralyzed from the neck down. So as you can see, I, I, I had a lot of time and I didn't, did not do much. But that power I needed came from the Lord. I can only glorify Him in that because if it wasn't for Him, I would not be where I am today. And praise God that even for each and every one of us who might be going through something this morning, um, through an ailment, through a disease, His mere breath in our, in, in our lungs has brought us here today. Spurgeon says, There is no telling how much power God can put into a man. When divine strength comes, human weakness is no more a hindrance. As you know, Paul was on the road to Damascus. He was a bad boy. He was persecuting Christians. And look how he explains God and explains his view of God in the, in the book of Ephesians. He writes to the Ephesians and he says, For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and on earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened. There's that omnipotence, that power with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints. In other words, he's writing to believers here, to all the saints. What is the width and the length and the depth and the height? To know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And this is what he says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly, so this, this translation is the NKJV translation, obviously using two really extreme and powerful words there, exceedingly abundantly. In other words, we cannot comprehend what God is doing. Above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to Him be the glory in the church, by Christ Jesus to all generations. Our first point was that God is omniscient. He's all knowledgeable. The second point is that God is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. Verse 31. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. For those of you that are really on, on the ball and, and catching the flow of the sermon and this message, that brings us to our third point that God is omnipresent. He's omnipresent. He's all-present. To give you a good example, Jesus is on earth. His earthly ministry is in full swing. He's calling his disciples. And so what Philip does is Philip goes to Nathaniel. And Philip says to Nathaniel, we found him who they've spoken of. 
in the Old Testament, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And Nathaniel goes on to cheekily say, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Do you remember that? And what happens then is, is that Nathaniel and Philip are walking towards Jesus and Jesus says to Nathaniel, he has a man where there is no deceit found in all of Israel. And Nathaniel says to Jesus, how do you know me? And Jesus says to him, I saw you sitting under the fig tree. That is God's omnipresence. He can be here while we're worshiping today and listening to this message. There's people in the Northern Hemisphere that are doing the exact same thing and God is there as well. Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. And to wait on the Lord is, that, is to have that confident expectation and active hope in the Lord. We have to be vigilant. We have to be active in expectation when we wait on the Lord. And I'll explain to you now why. We should never be passively resigned. In other words, we should never be sitting on a lilo or sitting on our couch or sitting in the kitchen just saying, Lord, your word says I can wait, so I'll wait. That's not what, what the psalmist is, uh, what Isaiah is saying here. Because if you look at what the psalmist is saying, he says, I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined to me and heard my cry. Now I can guarantee you 150% that David, Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah, I can go through the whole list. None of them sat back and waited for the Lord. While they were waiting for the Lord to answer a prayer or to show them the next move, they were busy in prayer. They were spending time at the temple. They were offering sacrifices to God because of their love for Him. And those who wait patiently and trust in His presence, well then where we come to the hymn earlier, they shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Look at the progression here. There's, they shall mount up, they shall run, and they shall walk. And this depicts the spiritual transformation that faith brings to a believer. That is the faith and the trust we put in God the Father, in His presence in our lives, in our hearts, and in our minds. But remember, and I've put an NB here, it's very important that we realize it's not one-sided. We serve a relational God, the only worldview that serves a relational God. God emptied himself of all his privileges to come down in the person of Jesus Christ so that we can have a relationship with him and be reconciled to the Father. So how do we do that? Through word, through the word of God. We've got the full and final word of God, 66 books. If someone comes to you and says, I've got a new revelation, put on your Nikes and run. Because if it doesn't match with the word of God, you've got a problem. And there's many of these things happening today where people come into the church and they, they give extra revelations and things, but it doesn't match up with the Word of God. Through prayer, we pray for each other like we prayed for Ivan earlier. That's how we stay active in the Lord, through fellowship and more importantly, through diligence. Diligence is extremely important in our work, our walk with the Lord. So they shall mount up on wings like eagles. Isaiah is using this because the Old Testament, this is a depiction of strength, of God's strength, and is a symbol that He delivers them on strength like wings of eagles. Look, for example, in Exodus 19, verse 4. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, this is God speaking, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. He's talking about the exile and how he brought the Israelites out of bondage, out of Egypt. Again, the psalmist in 103, verse 5, who satisfies your mouth with good things? So we have cake-eating competitions Hot dog competitions that give us satisfaction for about three minutes. This is what the psalmist is saying. Who satisfies your mouth with good things? And that is God's nourishment for us. And where is His nourishment? His nourishment is in His Word. 
And I always get this picture of someone lying in the sun, just absorbing and soaking the sun. That's what we should be doing. We should be basking in God's presence, enjoying His Word, spending time in prayer, dialoguing with Him, so that we can know what His will is for us. And that's how He nourishes us and strengthens us. So you might be thinking, well, how is God's Word omnipresent? And this is how it is. The writer of Hebrews, in Hebrews 4 verses 12, one of my favorite scriptures, he says, For the Word of God is living and powerful. And who is the Word? The Word is Jesus, exactly. So the Word of God is living and powerful. If the Word wasn't living, then Jesus wouldn't be living. Then there's no point in reading the Word and spending time in the Word. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And that's very important because in the church today, many people are, say for example, distancing themselves from the Old Testament maybe, or they would like to look at a passage on 1 Corinthians 13 where we look at love, but they refuse to look at 1 Corinthians 6 where it talks about immoralities and injustices to God. And that's, you can't do that because then how I picture it is that us taking a member of Jesus' body, breaking it off and just chucking it to the side because that's what we're doing with the Word. If we don't believe in the full and final revelation of God, we're going to have a problem. One of my favorite pastors in America, his name is Jack Hibbs. He says, fall in love with God's nearness. In other words, with his presence. You will never sacrifice five minutes of temptation for a life of power. The word of God also is breathed out by God, as you know. The scripture is very famous scripture. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture. Not your or my selective scripture that we really enjoy. All scripture is breathed out by God. And why is it breathed out by God and profitable? It's for teaching. It's for reproof. It's for correction and for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. That is what God and His omnipresence is about. God is omniscient, He's omnipotent, and He's omnipresent. And that brings us to our final thought for today's message. And I don't know if you've heard this word, but God the Father is omnibenevolent. He's omnibenevolent. And I've added there that His divine providence is, is really something to consider. So if God is omnibenevolent, it means that He's all good. And He's loving. He's all good and all loving. Why is God good? Because He's holy. And because as sinners, without Jesus Christ, we cannot be in God's presence. But when we accept the Lord Jesus as our Savior, that veil is taken away and, the God, and God sees us in right standing with Him. So this is the definition of divine providence. Divine providence is the governance of God by which He, with wisdom and love, cares for and directs all things in the universe. Such a nice description of God's providence. How do we know that God is omnibenevolent though? I've said that He's good. I've said that He's loving. And this is why God is omnibenevolent. Because He so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son. That whoever believes in Him will not perish, but have everlasting life. And people tend to forget about verse 17, which is also really, really important. That God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. So God is a God of reconciliation. He's a God of redemption. And that is the message of the gospel. 
Look what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. Paul explains the gospel to us there. And he says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you the first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. So that is salvation. That is God, the eternal God, the great I Am, giving salvation to us. He is unchanging and He's given you and I the opportunity of salvation. Praise God for that. As I said earlier, if you look at other worldviews, every other worldview says, what can I do to get to heaven? God is saying, I've emptied myself of all, everything, Jesus Christ, of all His privileges, of everything that He's had in heaven. And He's come in the form of a bondservant so that you and I can be reconciled to Him. And that brings us comfort. I must be honest, it brings me a lot of comfort and I hope it brings you comfort. That the great I am, the everlasting God, is thinking of you and I. And how are we comforted until Jesus returns? Well, we're comforted in His Word because His Word is full and final, as I've said. And through prophecy and the fulfillment of prophecy, we can see that God's promises are never failing. There's been over 1,500 prophecies fulfilled in the Bible with regards to Jesus, with regards to Israel, with regards to the Gentiles. That is where our hope and our comfort comes from. Another another comforting thing and really comforting thing is that in 1 Thessalonians 4, Paul is talking about um, a gathering unto God. He's talking about a word called harpazo, which is, means that God is going to gather the church unto Him. God is going to gather the church unto Jesus because they are married to Jesus. And that's what's important. That is our blessed hope when God takes His church away. And I've been asked a few times, how do I know I'm saved? How do I know if I'm saved? And it's a really good question because a lot of people just go what I call nonchalantly along and hope that they are saved. But this is how you know you're saved. If you've repented, obviously coming, we've all come from a sinful lifestyle. If you've repented of your sin, you've repented that you denied God the Father's sacrifice for us in Jesus Christ. If you've asked for forgiveness and you've given your life to Jesus, the Holy Spirit will then indwell you. He will regenerate you. And that is a promise of God. John 10, 28, Jesus says, And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. How comforting is that? The benevolent God, the Father that loves us. For the Lord is good, and His love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. A prolific author and theologian Dave Hunt, he writes, The more clearly we see the infinite chasm between God's glory and our sinful falling short thereof, the greater will be our appreciation of His grace and love in bridging that gulf to redeem us. So on Father's Day, we remember the Father of all. Remember, we remember God the Father, and as His name is in the Bible, Yahweh. Every time you see L-O-R-D, Lord, in capitals, speaking about God the Father, and every time you see L-O-R-D with a capital L, small O-R-D, the writer is talking about Jesus Christ. But on Father's Day, we thank the Father of lights, the Father of heaven, the Father where every good and perfect gift comes from. He's a loving Father. In other words, He's benevolent. He's an all-knowing Father. He is omniscient. He's an all-powerful Father. He's omnipotent. And He's an ever-present Father. In other words, He's omnipresent. And His divine providence 
is the way which with wisdom and love he cares for us and directs all things in the universe. God the Father is a redeeming God. He's a reconciling God. And he wants to adopt us as his sons and daughters. Let's pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, thank you for this message, Lord. I pray that it's fallen on our hearts and minds to help us understand your majesty. The fact that you're the great I am. You're eternal. You're uncaused. You're from, you're from everlasting to everlasting, Lord. And we thank you that we can worship you. Trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord, the Lord himself, is the rock eternal. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. Behold, God is great, and we do not know him, nor can the number of his years be discovered. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? Father, thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you for the sacrifice and that blood offering at Calvary 2,000 years ago. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Lord, this day is yours. Please go ahead of us, Father. We just praise and worship your name. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.